0: Today on 2C Vans.
1: Too many nutrients lead to a word called eutrophication. 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 What's
0: that? We all said it. (laughs) Does that
1: just mean too many nutrients or does it mean
2: something else? Well, it
0: means too many times saying eutrophication.
2: (laughs) It can definitely be an abundance of nutrients causing overgrowth or, um, you know, just different problems in systems. And it's different in different bodies of water.
1: Hello, and welcome to 2C Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory, your podcast for marine science and education here in Sarasota, Florida.
0: We still need an acronym.
1: I'm Haley Rutger.
0: And I'm Joe Nicholson. (laughs) We're here today with one of my favorite guests.
1: Our return guest, because she's so cool that we had her back.
0: She's so cool, she's wearing a sweater. Yeah. She's trying not to giggle.
2: Trying not to lie.
0: Say hi, Em.
2: Hi, everyone.
0: This is Dr. Emily Hall.
1: Yeah, she's a, you remember, she's a staff scientist here at Moat who runs our ocean acidification program.
0: That means she likes acid. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) No. No.
1: It means she studies acidification in the ocean.
0: So she doesn't make the ocean more acid?
1: No. Oh. No, <laughs> I mean
2: we all do breathe out CO two. I
0: mean. Oh, see, I thought if you were an ocean acidification person,
2: you made the ocean acidic. <sighs> I've definitely gotten that question a few times. Have you? <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you are you are advocating acidification. No. What wait. the okay. heck
0: is acid? Uh, uh, is, uh, huh?
1: what is it? We got remind reminder again. Ourselves. One Let's, more time. Let me see if I can get it right. Okay. What is ocean acidification? It's a decrease in the ocean's pH, and the pH represents how acidic uh, or basic or neutral uh, a solution is, basically. Emily's kind of nodding. How close did I get? Very good. Great
2: job. Yeah, it has to do with the amount of carbon dioxide in our ocean that gets absorbed by our ocean and how quickly it's changing the chemistry of our ocean um, based on pH. So, great job. All right. Wow, Hayles. But we brought you here
1: today to talk about, actually, a study that you recently published.
0: Oh, yes. The new stuff. Yeah,
1: new, this new is stuff. <laughs> and there's uh, there's multiple stressors out there on coral reefs, not just ocean acidification or OA, and this study... Um, goes broader than that, it's talking about water quality too, right? Yes,
2: correct. So where did you do this study? We did this study in Israel at the Inter-University Institute of Marine Science with colleagues of ours there that we've been working with for a number of years.
1: I remember your Israeli colleagues coming to the Florida Keys. We've been having those kind of discussions and projects for a long time, right? Yeah.
2: We've been actually, ever since we started the ocean acidification program, we've been working directly with them um, to establish our systems based on the experimental systems that they have and and just learning from them and working closely with them on numerous different projects. So. How,
0: how long have you been collaborating with them? And do they have the same issues in, I guess, what is it, the Red Sea or, or
2: the Red, Red Sea? sea? Mm-hmm. Um, we We started in about 2012, I'd say, and yes, they do have coral reefs right up there in the Gulf of Aqaba on the northern tip of the Red Sea that Israel is on. And they, you know, it, the issues of ocean acidification and climate change are global issues. So they absolutely will have the same, the same problems or similar problems, but you know, different species of different species of corals and other animals. And, um, so we're trying to understand what's going on all around the world, not just here.
1: And what might be different at the local level is maybe what stressors are local from the coast, right? Yes,
2: exactly. So definitely those global stressors of warming and acidification, but then also the added stressor of, well, specifically what we looked at are nutrients. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Nutrients sound good until you find out what happens when there's too many. See,
0: nutrients for a body are good.
1: Good. Mm-hmm.
0: Nutrients In the
1: right amounts. for the right amounts. In the
0: right yeah. amounts in the ocean are good, mm-hmm. but Too many nutrients, (laughs) bad.
1: Too many nutrients lead to a word called eutrophication. Eutrophication. Eutrophication.
0: What's that? We all said it. (laughs) (laughs) Does that
1: just mean too many nutrients, or does it mean something else? Well, it
0: means too many times saying eutrophication.
2: It can definitely be an abundance of nutrients causing overgrowth or, um, you know, just different problems in systems. And it's different in different bodies of water because you can have eutrophication in lakes. You can have it in (laughs) estuaries. Eutrophication. Ah! (laughs) All right.
1: So it can do different things in different water bodies, freshwater, saltwater. But usually is it caused by nutrients from from what? From agriculture, from nature, from what?
2: All different kinds of things. Um, it can be caused by pollutants going into the water. So, for example, fertilizers, um, even some pesticides have nutrients in them. Uh, also can be from upwelling. Uh, we do see that up in the Gulf of Aqaba. So upwelling of deep waters that have nutrients in it. Yeah. Now, wh- um,
0: where does the deep water get its nutrients from when it upwells?
2: Uh, well, it can, so that's one awesome thing about our ocean is we get big circulation from, from deep where we can have breakdown of a lot of different organisms and, and it can cycle through and come up into the surface. Um, it can come from groundwater. It can come from um, all, just all different sources um, from deep water. Um,
0: so that it's just a cycling of the nutrients that were loaded into the ocean
2: Uh, Yeah, definitely in some places, that's what you would, you would look at. We get upwelling in the Pacific Northwest that can bring nutrients, but also other issues like more carbon dioxide can come up with this, with, mm -hmm, with colder, deeper waters, we can get elevated carbon dioxide. Um, so it, it can bring a lot of different things, but, uh, we can also get nutrients from things like, um, at least in the, in the Gulf of Aqaba, they're worried about things like fish farms, um, uh. Mm-mm. N- n- septic systems or wastewater treatment plants that aren't working very well, that can put nutrients into those systems. So
0: fish poop, human poop. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Okay. For every time you say poop, I'm going to say
1: eutrophication. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I will take a drink
0: of coffee. All right.
1: <laughs> so we can get it from a lot of places. Some of these we contribute to, and we know that humanity is definitely not shrinking its population size. We may be growing. Maybe we'll be adding more of those nutrients in some places is is that why you guys chose to do the study where you did it?
2: Um, well, one of the reasons we chose to do that study there is because there there is a lot of growth in that area, a lot of growth as far as uh, development. And um, the Gulf of Aqaba is a really unique area of water because it's not just Israel. There's also Egypt right there, Jordan right there, and Saudi Arabia. And it's a, it's a lot of different groups that are are trying to work together to try to maintain the, the health of of the Gulf of Aqaba. And so um, we wanted to do a study that would look at both the global impacts and potential local impacts based on, you know, ideas that that people have presented in other areas. For example, the nutrient um, and the Gulf of Aqaba is pretty unique because one of our colleagues, Dr. Maus Fine, published a paper showing that it's actually pretty resilient to some of the higher temperatures that we're getting. And so that's great. But then, is it still resilient to those temperatures if you add in ocean acidification or nutrients on top of that? And so, good question, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just looked at one coral species. It's it's a lot of work just to look at one organ one species. Um, And that species itself is pretty resilient to some of the temperature and some of the even pH effects. But when you add nutrients on top of it, you kind of get compounding negative effect oh, and the last wow. straw yeah and um and that's kind of unfortunate and that's just one species so you know we need to go back and and look at there are plenty of other species of coral there to understand and, and we need to do the same thing in the florida keys where where we do a lot of our work here i
1: see more trips to israel in your future
0: yes. yeah right but you have to you have to start with one species to try and get like a a, a a beginning somewhere, correct?
2: Absolutely, and that's a species that's found all throughout the Gulf of Aqaba, so what's it a was a good p- one to start. What's it called? Stylophora pistillata. Uh,
1: Stylophora pistillata. So this, this coral, Stylophora pistilata, um, what is it, its common name? What does it look like?
2: I believe it's called the smooth cauliflower coral, um, and it's, it's a branching coral um, that, uh, I guess you could, I don't, I'm trying to compare it to one of the corals that we have here in Florida, but uh, really we don't have a stylophora, but it's, um, a it cr- looks to cross
0: be- between what, like an Elkhorn and a, <laughs> yeah. and brain, <a>
2: <laughs> an Elkhorn <laughs> and a, maybe one of our parites it's yeah, it's kind of, it's a, it's a neat, it's a neat species. It's one that our colleagues in Israel work a lot with. Um, and we did see it when we, as we've done other work around the Gulf of Aqaba. So, um, it's a, it's a good coral to start with and to try to understand what might happen to corals over there.
1: When I'm Googling its picture, I'm looking and what I'm seeing, it looks like a bunch of, they're not the color of Cheetos, but they are the shape of Cheetos, <laughs> yeah. they are not Cheetos. And who doesn't like Cheetos? No, 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 I'm sorry. Cheese, cheese puffs. Cheese puffs. Oh, puffs. You know what I mean? Puffs. Don't you think so? That shape?
0: On those our cheesy those puffs. cheese
1: puffs, yeah. That's, so that's a good way to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're the cheesy
0: puffs of the sea. Now
1: they're they're like in kind of a almost like a bush shape, and they are like white to purple, right? So yeah. That's
2: a good way to look at it. <laughs> is that
1: what they typically look like in the wild? Yes. <laughs> okay. So if you see a coral that looks like cheese puffs, no, there's lots of corals <laughs> with that shape. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Just trying to get my unscientific head around it. So if they work with that coral a lot in Israel. Is it because it's important or because
2: it's easy? To work with, or um, it's there, it's available. So yeah. it's not something that if they took for experiments would wipe out the population. So that's a, that's important when we're doing a lot of our research. But also because it is present throughout the entire Gulf of Aqaba. Um so that's also important. It's just not just on one one coast. So, so
0: and it, and you hinted at that. You know there could be similarities between what's going on there and that species of coral and what's going on here and our species. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
0: Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, for sure. We've been doing some work looking at the effects of ocean acidification and and warming or climate change on some of our coral species here. We have focused a lot on uh, Acropora cervicornis, which is our staghorn species, and we we work a lot with that for restoration purposes. Um, But there are We're seeing that there are a lot of differences uh, between species and how they behave under these pressures but also even in different genotypes within a species how oh, they're really? behaving and so you really have to start with one and just start working your way up and, and there are a lot of scientists a lot of our colleagues are working on these on these issues but you know not everybody can do it all <laughs> so yeah, not one person can do it all
1: in the oh, so with the um, stylophora coral in um, the Red Sea area did you guys get down to like the different genotypes or did you just work and say this is the species these so are the genotypes we got, and you to start there.
2: Well, we started with the species. We did have, I f- believe, we used four different genotypes that we were looking at, and we did look for genotypic uh, differences. And just with the little bit that we looked at, that we didn't see differences. Mm-hmm. But we didn't do a full on, a full scale. There, there could be lots
1: of uh, genetic diversity. Sure. There could be the the Haley corals listen, and listen, the Joe corals and listen, the listen, what?
0: Listen, listen. You guys are getting <coughs> okay. too science speak, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: what's a <laughs> genotype? Genotype, <laughs>
0: species, uh, genome.
1: Help me with, okay, so genotype is a genetic variant within a species. Is that right? Correct. Species. So I am a a different genotype than Joe.
0: Yes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) But we
1: are, in fact, the same species. So who knows if the. uh, We're the
0: same species but different genotype.
1: Uh, yeah, we are. Okay. We're different, different genes. I got different genes than you. Yes, yes, you do. But I am a human and you are, in theory, a human. In theory. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so that's
1: why it matters to study the the various genotypes of coral. Now, what else do we say? Genome. So that would be all the genes in uh, that an organism has. Is
2: that right? So
0: that would be all human genes would be a genome.
2: You guys are getting crazy. Is Crazy that, talk. That, <laughs> Are we doing okay? <laughs> no, you're I'm right.
0: Just, I'm just you're trying to right. make it I'm trying I'm trying to like make it to the point where people listening that may not have the science background. I
2: like it. Yes. I like it. That's good. Oh, that's very good. It's important. Yeah, just like you and I, we're the same species, but we may be affected by a flu virus differently. If a flu's floating around the room right now, you and Joe may get the flu, and I may be perfectly, <laughs> you know, healthy because <laughs> you're
0: a tree. Yeah,
2: no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I eat healthy and I exercise and I take care of myself. And you guys drink oh. coffee and beer and All right, eat so cookies. That's <laughs> another thing, though. That's
1: not genotype. That's just uh, your. Ex- experience and your circumstances. Oh, that's true.
2: And that is another question that, that we can ask and, and do experiments on. And, and I could be t- more to.
0: tolerant to temperature than you. You could be. Uh-huh. You
2: probably are. I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now and you're not.
1: All right. So I think we've got genotype circumstances, species, and all that stuff straight. You have to study all that with corals. I mean, because it all matters. Yeah, it all matters. So, how difficult is it to get the information you need and time to apply it to help corals? It's a lot. It's hard.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of work because, um, like things like ocean acidification and and temperature, aren't always something that are just going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, these are kind of long term. Effects and so, when we bring these organisms in for experiments, we want to acclimate them to those temperatures and those those pHs, and we want to give them time to kind of situate and then see how it affects them. So, a lot of our experiments take a long time. You and can't
1: just shock them because that wouldn't be that's not what it's going to be like in the wild, right? At yeah. least
2: not with the questions we're asking. Right. So, you want to give it time, and you want to give it time in the experimental system. So it takes a lot of time. You have to have a lot of replication. So do a lot of the same thing over and over again. That's in order to be able to run statistics. Everyone loves statistics. (laughs) Make the world go (laughs) round. Yeah.
1: I respect statistics. Is that enough? Yes. Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, and that's why it's so difficult to to come up with all the answers. All you know in. At least in this case, because of all the factors, it makes it so difficult to mm-hmm. determine exactly what the heck is going on, and which is gonna take a lot of time to figure out.
2: Yeah, and, and remember, we're just working with one species now doing this, and and three variables looking at temperature, ocean acidification, and nutrients. So you start adding yeah. up all those numbers that you have to work with. Like the ones it.
0: that drink coffee <laughs> and don't exercise. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh.
1: Among the corals, right? Okay, right. Right. But um, so in the study where you looked at that local stress of those nutrients together with all the global stressors, the temperature, the ocean acidification, you saw that it was much harder for them to survive, I guess, or grow with the nutrient stress. Yes. But— I saw in, you know, something we wrote about your paper that the little algae that live in the coral had experienced a different effect.
2: Well, the, some of the, uh, the symbionts. Yeah. Hopefully that's not too sciencey for you, Joe.
1: The, <laughs> algae <laughs> in the, the algae
2: and the win-win relationship with the coral that gives the coral food.
1: Uh, Emily. <laughs> yeah.
2: So um, so it's a plant. And so, for example, when you give a plant a little bit more carbon dioxide, it actually likes it because it uses that for photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you can give it too much, potentially. Same thing with warming. A little bit more warmth, something can grow a little better, especially some plants can grow a little better, certain species. Um, but if it's too hot, they don't like it yeah. so there are these really important thresholds of how much they can take and how much they can't take but you know you can give a little bit more and they might do a little bit better so,
1: so as a scientist do you care the most about finding thresholds where something big happens or do you do you care about all the little increments of what will change in the
2: middle we care about it all all of it yeah because it all it all provides small answers to these big questions that are really difficult to answer, but we're yeah. trying.
1: So how do you hope that like, okay, so you got this paper out on this one species and the stressors, how they affect it. How do you hope that that information will get out? And you know, who do you hope will pick it up and, and use it for something else in the future?
0: Who's going to read your stuff?
2: <laughs> well, hopefully you two have already read it. I'm starting to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm available for questions. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm, anybody who, well obviously the first group of people that are going to get the, these papers and read them are going to be our colleagues or other scientists who are also doing this research so they can get that information and use it to study corals in their areas or other parts of the world and compare it and mm-hmm. see and see how it's all working together which is really important but also we hope that managers and politicians get these papers so when they need to make informed decisions about how to clean up an area, restore an area or what type of land use we want to do um, that they'll take this Information and and take that into account so that we aren't hopefully adding more stress to environments that are already pretty stressed out.
1: So I would look at this like if I were a science minded manager, I'd say, okay, we know that there's these global changes and it's going to be hard to stop those right away, but Maybe we can make a dent in the nutrients, yes. and maybe that will make all the difference, at least to a point, yeah. for this species anyway. Yes,
2: exactly. And that—that's—it's something I, when I was joking earlier and talking about us being healthy or not healthy. Yeah. That's actually really important if you keep your backyard clean. So if they keep the Gulf of Aqaba clean, or if we keep, for example, here in Sarasota, Sarasota Bay clean, it's going to have a better chance of handling some of these global global changes.
1: Okay, so somebody else um, that I've talked to OA about once, you know, told me that even the nutrients themselves coming in may influence the chemistry too, may influence OA. So that's not that simple either, right?
2: Nope. (laughs) It's not not an easy answer, especially in coastal environments or estuarine environments Mm -hmm. when we get um, added... Uh, ocean acidification, for example, you can get potentially more algal blooms, which is more organic matter in your rivers and streams and your estuaries. And then it needs to be broken down by um, microbial organisms. And when they do that, they release more carbon dioxide into ah. the environment and it can reduce the pH. And so it's 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 a crazy kind of thing to try to, to weed out. But so these things are just not separate,
1: not easily separated, mm. but you, you guys do your best to examine their influences. And I know you do a lot of the work, you know, when you're not traveling to Israel, you do a lot of work in the Florida Keys. Um, how is the OA system down there doing? I know we had, to, we had to rebuild a little after Hurricane Irma. I hear it's getting bigger and better.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, Hurricane Irma pretty much destroyed my first OA system down there but that's okay it's like a reboot for us mm-hmm. we were able to improve on the what it was before and we're doubling it in size yeah. which is going to enable us to invite even more people to come and use it while we're also using it for experiments and do bigger and better experiments like this one that we did in Israel
1: yeah so your israeli colleagues I'm betting are going to come over and see you
2: right? i hope so um, well, yeah they do they do a trip here ah it's their
1: turn okay yeah. <laughs> but um I to ask you how it is to dive in the areas you dived in because I know it's got to be beautiful out there.
2: Which which areas?
1: Well, how about for the, well, I don't know if you dive for the eutrophication study, but I know you've dived in the Gulf of Aqaba. Yeah, we've we've
2: definitely gone diving in the Gulf of Aqaba. For this study, they dove and got the corals for us before we got there because, like Joe was saying before, it takes a long time to get these experiments up and running and they have to acclimate them. And as much as I would love to be in Israel for six <laughs> months, I have to do work here in <laughs> Sarasota yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but we've gone diving on the Israeli coast, and we've been diving even on the Saudi Arabian coast in the Gulf of Aqaba. And it's—I I can't even tell you—it's so colorful when you go underwater. The coral reefs there are amazing.
0: I saw the the video that uh, uh, your colleague shot while you guys were over there. Oh uh, yeah. And it <clears throat> it truly looks like you guys are swimming around in an aquarium.
2: Oh yeah. It's, it's the
0: water's so clear the colors are so beautiful yeah i've never seen the the blues in corals like i i I saw there
2: yeah there was so much color and so many fish and and it's it's really neat because you have this contrast of being up when you're up on land it's much drier because it's very much a desert in that area and you see lots of browns and lot you know lots of tans and then as soon as you get underwater it just explodes with color and it's it's one of the coolest places i've ever been diving
1: and you've been diving a lot, so I'm gonna I'm <laughs> gonna assume that that's a pretty cool darn place.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: Okay. So, um, if, what else is in your future, um, as an OA scientist and as a as a reef focused scientist? What projects are you most excited about?
2: Oh, I'm excited about all of them. <laughs> 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 i like to ask people yeah. to pick a favorite and
1: stump them.
2: <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, um, you know, continuing to do this kind of work here in the Florida Keys is obviously important. And, you know, we want to take what we've learned over there and bring it to what's happening in the Keys, especially cause, uh, the Florida Keys are, we're having a little bit of issue. We have a disease problem right now and we're, um, you know, on top of that ocean acidification and warming, and then who knows what else is going on. So So I'm trying to really understand that, uh, before things get too hectic down Mm -hmm. there, but (coughs) also another aspect of this that I like to work with is looking for areas of what we call refugia. Mm. So areas that may actually be okay in ocean, in the world of ocean acidification or organisms that may do all right, you know, kind of a glimpse into the future. So I've done a lot of work with seagrass and ocean acidification, seagrass taking up that carbon dioxide, Mm. but also. And this may be for a future podcast with you guys, are the uh, blue holes uh-huh. that we work with, um, where the chemistry is potentially very similar to what we might see in the future. And I won't say too much more about that. I think, yeah, we we
1: briefly heard from a, a while ago from uh, your your buddy and colleague Jim on blue holes, and I can't <laughs> wait to talk more about what's coming up. Mm hmm.
0: Jim Coltaire.
1: Yeah, he's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yes. Good he's old, our favorite too.
0: Good old Jamez.
1: Yeah, we'll have to have them both on here. I think they, they could have their very own show. They're great.
0: Um let me <coughs> if I may <coughs> ask a question. Doctor Hall, what is it like to work in the Middle East?
2: It's um it's really it's really unique. It's a very different cultures. Um than in places that I've gone. I know some of my other colleagues have worked in the Middle East a little bit longer than I have, but um, what I've found is Working, no matter where you work, the scientists all are out for the same thing. We all want to help protect the environment, save the world, understand what's going on. And so everyone that we interacted with were were really great and wonderful to work with. And we all had the same questions and we all wanted the same answers. Um, There are differences, different rules you have to follow when you travel to different places in the world. And we had no problems doing that. We had no problems getting our gear there. um, And we had everything that we needed boats diving in fact the the diving like i mean i talked about how wonderful it was i if, oh. <laughs> if i could live underwater that would be a place <laughs> i would want to live yeah. i
0: heard the food was really good too oh
2: the food's amazing yeah. um it's we don't get that kind of good food here at least i haven't found it yet if anybody can recommend a restaurant that i could <laughs> go that has, to that would good, good, middle good middle eastern food yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah the food's amazing
1: this has been a good a good discussion where we learned a few new terms learned a few <laughs> we challenged eutrophication. ourselves eutrophication eutrophication <laughs> we learned genotypes and
0: yes Joe, you, you
1: gonna remember those words
0: eutrophication
1: yeah good all right this has been a lot of fun and probably one of the weirdest episodes <laughs> we've, we've had in a while <laughs>
0: It's good to be back. (laughs)
1: It's good to be weird. It's good to be nerds. All right, everybody, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you in two weeks for another great episode of 2C Fans Out. Hopefully. Hopefully. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Wait, what?